So we are continuing in the book of Daniel, and today we get to do Daniel 11. So has any, did anybody, I know a couple people read the text um, over this week. I know that Matt did, which I'm super appreciative. Matt's really faithful, reading the text, making sure that he can align like worship, just kind of draw us into where we're at in the story. And so Matt shot me a text and it's like a question mark, like where do we go from here? How do we lead people through this? Which is great because that's actually what I was thinking around the same time. Now, if you've read Daniel 11, if you did read it, you'll see there are a couple things that are really make it complicated to flesh out in 30 minutes on a Sunday morning. So one, we're, it's actually sandwiched in between Daniel 10 and Daniel 12, which makes sense because it's Daniel 11, but it's actually, it's actually one unified story. And so trying to piece that out and just say, hey, we're just going to talk about this part would be kind of like if you and I were having a conversation and you just cut, cut the middle of it out and tried to gather all the context, not knowing where it began and where it ended. But luckily, you guys do know where it began if you were here last Sunday or if you listened to the text. So last Sunday is this really cool story. I think that's why Chris handpicked that one and let me take Daniel 11. But it's this really cool story where now we've seen Daniel walking from like just a really young man, probably a teenager, um, being taken into Babylon. And we just, it, through each of the first, um, you know, first six chapters, you get these cool like stories of watching Daniel grow up and grow in his faith, faith and continue to be faithful in the midst of a pagan and idolatrous world. And then as we get to Daniel 10, you see him now, he's a really old man. He's just in Daniel 9, realized, hey, Jeremiah, the time that we were talking about when we would get to go home is like coming up. It's almost here. And then God sends him an angel and says, hey, Daniel, like that's correct, but not in the way you were thinking. It's really going to be another 490 years until the anointed one comes and we really see restoration. But God was faithful in his promise to Jeremiah and the Israelites are, st are starting to go back to Jerusalem, but Daniel stays. And so in chapter 10, um, last week Chris taught us on, we found Daniel fasting and praying for the Israelites as they're returning and then and just kind of really seeking the Lord or trying to understand and petition God and this angel comes to him. And I mean, first he gets this crazy vision. Like Chris mentioned, there are a lot of things that point to he could have seen Jesus, like a, a, an appearance of Jesus. We don't know for sure, but it's, there are definitely some things that line up that way. Just gets this crazy vision and he's dropped to the ground, it faints. And then this angel wakes him up and just encourages him. He gets strengthened by God and the angel says, Daniel, like, God heard your prayer from the second, three weeks ago, from the time you started praying, he heard you and he sent me. And then he relates, I was coming to you, but there was this crazy spiritual battle going on. I was fighting with these rulers that you don't see and you don't see the powers that are happening underneath what's going on or behind the scenes of what's going on. So I was held up and coming to you, but now I'm here and I've got this message for you. Stop, that was the end of chapter 10. And so that's actually where we're gonna pick up today. And we're gonna, I'm gonna kinda give you an idea of where we're going. 
we're going to hear this message for Daniel unpacked. And this is why it makes chapter 11 a little problematic to talk through in 30 minutes. Because one, it's like a really long chapter. It's 45 verses. And it's this really like complicated prophecy that's unfolded. And so today we're gonna do something a little bit different than how we've been going through the rest of the book of Daniel. And honestly, how we usually go through books of scripture where we read through the entire thing and unpack it. And that is my preference. That's the way I usually always wanna go through. But for today, with the amount of content and the complexity of it, I just don't know that we could do it justice in a 30 minute time frame, and that you guys would walk out of here knowing like how to live out into that part of the story. And so, you know, I was actually, I was talking to John and Amy about this. There is so much density, just, I would say between 10 and 12, like those should always probably, like it's really helpful to teach them as a unified story, but they should be taught over like a long period of time. And so trying to accomplish that in 30 minutes, it just isn't going to cut it. And so today, what I'm going to try and do is walk through a bit of it with you guys and kind of give you the arc of where it's going and then, and then invite you into that. So um, first, Patrick, I'll have you, um, if you'd pull up that slide for me. Um, this is chapter 11. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. If it looks confusing it's because it really is. And there's a lot of things going on with it. And so that's why today, we're just gonna pick out bits and pieces of it. So I'm gonna start, I'm actually gonna pick up in, Dan, uh, in 11, starting in verse two, because Chris actually yesterday finished through 11.1, because that's actually the completion of the thought in chapter 10. And that's why I say like, you know, they kind of picked places, if you guys don't know, the Bible didn't come preloaded with chapters, like that was done later on. And so the people who did that kind of picked where they thought the most intuitive place, but they're trying to divide up one unified story. And so it becomes complex. So today, if you're following along with me, we're going to pick up in Daniel 11:2, and then I'll read through a couple of these, unpack a little bit, and then we'll go from there. So Daniel 11:2, and this is the angel speaking to Daniel. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has risen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity nor according to the authority with which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. All right. So we're starting to see this message from this angel to Daniel and I kind of you know, tip my hand, let you see a little bit of what we're gonna be talking about. So actually, Patrick, if you'd bring that slide back up. So this is actually kind of a historical narrative. But the interesting thing is this is exactly it, what history, if you look up in history, it lines up perfectly with Daniel 11. And so 
almost all of what we'll be reading today not only is verified in scripture, but you can verify it in history so accurately to the point that many people, even many scholars, uh, biblical scholars, theologians, would argue that Daniel 11, they're like, this couldn't have happened before the events. This had to be like a historical, like it was inserted into Daniel later on because it just lines up too perfectly. But I will tell you that there are a lot of great arguments that that is not when this was written. There's a lot of evidence, actually historical evidence that shows this predated, this writing predated any of these happenings. And it was really just a revelation from God to Daniel about things that are going to pass. And so what we're gonna do today for the next few minutes is we're gonna go through a little history lesson and we're gonna unpack some of this of what, who these kings were, what we're talking about, but we're gonna do it for a purpose because God gave this message to Daniel before it happened for a purpose. And for us to understand what happened, we'll go back and see why did God tell Daniel about this history that was gonna unfold. So going back to verse two, he talks about three kings, three more kings in Persia, and then a fourth. Well, it's pretty easy to kind of follow history and see who was that fourth king. So this was a king named Xerxes. And he says this king was far richer than all of the other kings. If you look, he's actually far richer because some of his predecessors made him that way. But he still, he had more money than anyone else. And so then what does it say he do? He does, he decides to go and pick a fight with Greece. Like he thinks I've got all this money, I've got all this wealth, I've got a large army, I can defeat these guys. Well, the problem was he was wrong. So he went up against Greece and it kind of became a stalemate. But what he did was really anger Greece. And so what we're going to see is now Greece is gonna come against him, but not in his lifetime. So this King Xerxes, this was around, uh, actually it's not up on here, but it's around, this was around 450 BC. And so Greece and the Medo-Persian Empire that King Xerxes was the king over are at odds with each other up until Alexander the Great. So we know Alexander the Great, that's where we bring in this mighty king shall arise. So. Uh, you know, roughly 100 years later, Alexander the Great comes into power and he remembers what happened with this King Xerxes and the following kings, how they have constantly been at tension with him and he's done with it. And so he just goes on this mad campaign and he completely wipes out the Medo-Persian Empire, everybody that's between Greece, and he just keeps going. He keeps going and he keeps going. And that's what, it, that's what it says where we see in verse four that everything, or I'm sorry, in verse three, that everything that he does, everything that he wills to do, he will accomplish. This guy was on fire and he was just conquering the world. And then he died, just like that. They don't know exactly what it was, uh, probably a disease, honestly. And his children were really young and they could not fight for the throne. There was actually Alexander the Great, like it said that what he said on his deathbed was fight it out. 
you guys divide the kingdom. And that's exactly what, his what happened. His generals turned on each other and the whole world just came into turmoil for a period of time until they started. They actually ended up with four generals on top and they sectioned it out. And that's where we're gonna start going. These are now the kings ruling over the known world. And what we're gonna see is we're focusing on two kings. So one, I want you to remember Xerxes. We're going to come back to him later. And then of these four kings, we're really only going to focus on two. And if you read through chapter 11, you probably got really confused because they call them the king of the north and the king of the south. And then for the next 45 verses, it just goes back and forth, king of the north, king of the south. But this is what it's actually talking about when it says the king of the south is Egypt. And this is this whole line of people from the line of Ptolemy. So this was the general in the south. And then Seleucus I was ultimately the king of the north. But we're gonna pick back up now in verse five and we're gonna hear a little bit more about these guys. So this is who we're talking about now. So then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule and his authority shall be great he shall have a great authority. After some years, they shall make an alliance. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to pick up for right there. Um, I, I want to talk through this a little bit before we go into verse six. So if you saw those two kings, Ptolemy and Seleucus, this is, what, this is who they're talking about. And the reason that they say the king of the south, so that's Ptolemy. And I know, see, it's already getting a little confusing. You can see how if we went through all of this and tried to unpack it all in this short amount of time, we just wouldn't get there. So Ptolemy was a strong king. Seleucus was not. And he actually had to flee because another general took over. And so he went and Ptolemy helped him out. And then when it, the time was right, Seleucus came through and just decimated the northern kingdom and took over. And these guys were kind of at peace with each other. But like it said, the prince who was the king of the north now became much stronger. So where Ptolemy, the kingdom of the south was just located in Egypt, the northern kingdom expanded past the Medo-Persian empire all the way to India. It just grew huge. Like this guy amassed a huge, huge army, land, all of that. And so now he's much greater than the king of the north. And if you guys know about history, when there's those divisions of power and they're unbalanced, it usually doesn't go well. And so that's where we'll pick up in verse six. After some years, they shall make an alliance and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm and he and his arm shall not endure, but she shall be given up and her attendants, he who fathered her and he who supported her in those times. So where it says after some years, they're actually talking about 70 years. So it's not just a few. Will you go back to the slide, the timeline? Um, so we're not talking about just a few years. So we're actually talking about now with the second Ptolemy, the first one's son, and all the way down to Antiochus II. This is the grandson of the first guy. So we're 80 years into the story and these guys aren't playing nice anymore. They've forgotten about their grandpas and the alliance that they had and they are battling it out. And so 
again, remember the kingdom of the south, much weaker than the kingdom of the north. So now he sends his daughter to marry the, the um, king of the north. The problem was the king of the north already had a wife, Laodicea, which you'll remember that is actually a city. So he had to divorce her. That was part of the agreement in order to marry Bernice. And you don't have to remember all these names. There's not gonna be a quiz. And I promise you there is a reason why I'm going into so much depth on this. So Bernice is now the new queen. Laodicea is divorced. Well, then the king of the, nor or the, king of the south dies. And so the king of the north is like, hey, I liked my old wife better. I'm gonna divorce you because our agreement's over. Your dad's dead. And I'm gonna bring my, my old wife back because I liked her better. Well, I don't know. You ladies could probably think about how you would be feeling about this. So Laodicea comes back. She's the queen again. She's not really feeling great about this whole arrangement. So she poisons her husband, kills him, and then she murders Bernice and any of the kids that they have. So that's where we're gonna pick up here in verse seven. And so this, when it says her, we're talking about Bernice. And from a branch from her roots, one shall rise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods and their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years, he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. Okay, so... You remember I told you the king of the north died, the father of Bernice, who's now murdered. Well, his son, her brother, comes into power, and he wasn't too happy about his sister being murdered. So he now marches into the king or into the kingdom of the north and decimates them, steals their idols, steals all their wealth, and goes back to Egypt. Uh, actually, it, it leaves them to then kind of re, resort themselves out. He doesn't have enough power to be able to take over the kingdom. He just really goes in there, thumps them, does some damage, takes what he can and gets out before anything like happens to him and he overextends himself. And so the reason that I want to flesh all of this out is do you see what is happening in these human kingdoms? Like it's just going from bad to worse. And that's not really, it shouldn't be too surprising for us because that's almost all of scripture when we watch the kingdoms of man come up, they come against each other, they fight back and forth. And so we're gonna take, we're gonna, I'll just kind of summarize verses 10 through 19 for you guys because it's kind of that same thing. So as we look here, that's gonna watch, like you can see down, it actually, this chart shows you the verses. So now we're gonna skip all the way down here to like after 200 BC. So we're gonna skip like 100 years of all of these kings, one after the other. Like the, if you read chapter 11, that's how it is. Like the king of the south went up to the king of the north, picked a fight. Now the king of the north is mad, goes back to the king of the south, picks a fight, goes back to the king of the north. Like, and it just happens over and over and over again. And then this will pick up in verse 20 and we'll go through this and then I'll kind of um, 
tie it all in for you guys and you guys can figure out why we're talking about all these people and all of this stuff that's going on. Because honestly, like at the end of the day, we're talking about it because it's God's word and it is fruitful for us. But something like this, it takes a little bit of digging deep and then it takes a lot of going across the surface to figure out where God's leading us. So we'll pick up now in verse 20. So then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days, he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall arise a contemptible person. So I, I wanna pause just there for a second. So now a contemptible person, like now a evil person is going to arise. Like, what are you talking about? All of these people have been horrible, right? Like it's just all been about power and greed and fighting one another, backstabbing, murder, like the kings and the queens have just been dealing evilly. And now, now this person is evil. So that like, that should immediately like perk you up and be like, whoa, what did this guy do? And so we're gonna unpack that a little bit right now. We're gonna read through it and then I'm gonna kind of share with you who this guy was and why this person of all people was an evil person. All right, so picking back up right there where we were in, uh, in verse, um, I'm sorry, in verse 21. So then shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given he shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And then the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his wills and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering, and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action, and the wise among the people shall make many understand. 
Though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white, until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. So guys, that was only about half of the verses, like we've now covered about half of the verses for this chapter. So you'll kind of see like this is really dense. And so now I'll kind of key you in on why some of this is so important. Um, will you pull up that next slide for me, Patrick? So this gives you an idea of where the kingdom of the north is right over here and the kingdom of the south. So you can imagine every time that there's a battle, it's happening right around here. And you can see what's right there, Jerusalem. So right as the people are returning from their exile in Babylon, they've come back along here. All of a sudden, they have become the stomping ground for every one of these armies as they march through back and forth. And I don't know if you know much about history, but when armies went through a land, they ravaged it. That's why so many people in the, like in the Old Testament, why so many countries refused to let the Israelites come through because they would just pillage. They would rip things apart. They would take anything they needed, all the food, all the water, all the finances as they went through. And this is going to happen over and over and over again to God's people. So that is why it was so important for this angel to come and give this message to Daniel, the one of them, because he's warning them. He's letting them know what's to come. And the part that we just read, now we'll unpack that because it has huge, much huger implications than just armies coming through. So this guy that they're referring to, this king, this was uh, Antichysus, sorry, I'm terrible at saying these names, Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes, there we go. So Antiochus Epiphanes, he was a guy that was not of royal blood, but like they said, there had been this confusion. Actually, a lot of the true kings, the next in line of the kings of the north, they had picked a fight with Rome and gotten captured by Rome. And this guy swoops in in that time, it says by flattery, he talks up, not only does he make deals with his people, but he's doing these back deals with Rome themselves because Rome's like, yeah, let's put his puppet king in place and we'll hold on to all the true kings here. And so he steps into this and he really, it, it spends his entire time as king deceiving everybody. He makes alliances with Rome that he's not planning on keeping. He promises his people things that he's not doing. He makes alliances with Egypt that he's not going to keep. And it's just, he turns this whole place into chaos. And right at the center of it are the Jews, are Israel in Jerusalem. And Antiochus hated the Israelites. In fact, to the point where it says, I, I don't know if you caught it, when he went down to the kingdom of the south, but there were ships from Kittim, that's really, those were Roman ships. Rome was done with this guy. They were done with his lying. They were done with his 
like all of his deceit. And so when he showed up thinking that he was going to take over Egypt with Rome's help, Rome was actually there to push them back. And he got enraged and he went back and he went through Jerusalem and he ravaged it. He killed many, many Israelites. He went into the temple and set up an idol to Zeus, set up a big statue to Zeus, and then he sacrificed a pig, which is the like an unclean animal. It's one of the worst animals that like Israelites wouldn't even touch a pig, and he took it and he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple. This was not a good guy, and he was not for the Jews. And so that's why it says in here, like this is what this is what the God was preparing Daniel for. He was saying, this is gonna be your story. This is who you guys are gonna be. But I don't know if you caught it there at the end. It's really hard to see, but when he says, and some of the wise shall stumble. Now he's talking about, he mentions, he calls them the people of the covenant or the land of the covenant. So this is Israel. Many of them will stumble, but it's so that they may be refined, purified and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. And the cool thing is what God's saying is that this guy is gonna be bad news. He's gonna be like the worst thing that has happened to Israel in a while. Right when they think that they are finally getting free of some of this oppression, one of the most hostile and oppressive kings is gonna come over them and just destroy them. But then it enters into the story, these people that are refined and that are purified. And I'll share a little bit about that with you. But first I wanna go back. You remember that king that I told you about, Xerxes? So that king, that's his Greek name. But if you read the book of Esther, the king that marries Esther, or if you look in Malachi, the time, the last book of the Old Testament in Malachi, that's King Xerxes. So right at the end of Jewish scripture, right when God is going to give them this time, 400 years of silence, he gives them this history. He says, I'm not, I'm not gonna be in it with you day to day. I'm not telling you what's happening. Like there have been too many things that have gone on, but I'm not gonna leave you without hope. I'm going to share with you that part of the story. This is gonna be your story that you're gonna live into. And the reason I share that with you is because there's this cool thing that happens during this time, right here in the end, these people that are refined that we don't often talk about because they're in between the time of Malachi and Matthew, like we don't get their story, but there are these people, these Israelites called the Maccabees that were raised up during this time. They were done with this guy, this Antiochus Epiphanes, and they routed him and they forced him out of Israel. They forced him out of Jerusalem and out of Israel. And so for a hundred years, after almost 500 years of oppression under other kings, these guys rose up and they forced him out of the temple. And so that is what we're getting in this story. And so that's what, what God is doing through this, why it was so important for him to give this message to Daniel, as complicated as it seems, is he wanted them to have hope. Like, think about a people that have always lived 
under God's direction. They've continually had prophets that are sharing God's message, most of the time warnings of their continued failure, but they're giving him, they're, he's giving them feedback and now he's going to step back. But that's why all of this detail, it was so important because they could say, yes, this is that part of the story. I understand why this is happening. I know that there's a future, like we have a hope. We're being refined. We're being purified right now. And so that is what this, that's what Daniel 11 and really the larger narrative of Daniel 10 through 12, that's what it meant for the Israelites. But so, and this is the part where I'm like, if we had gone through this whole thing, we wouldn't have time. Like, what does this mean for us? How do we live in light of this? How do we, how do we understand who God is and what he's doing through this? And I would argue with you, it's just like, it was the same for the Jews. They had the story, they knew the story, and we do too. So Patrick, if you'd bring it up. We have the story here at Missale. I know many of you guys are familiar with it, and so I thought we could do a group and just kind of go through, talk through what is this story? How are we to live today and in the future? So let's go through, let's just go through the symbols real quick, and then I have an activity for you guys. I know you guys really like activities. <laughs> So I was like, if I'm gonna sit here and read through the king of the south and the king of the north the whole time, I'm gonna have to give them something or they're all gonna fall asleep. So let's go through real quick. We'll go through the arrows, left to right, first arrow, down arrow. What is it? Creation, that's right. So this is God creating everything that is true, right, and beautiful. And he's creating humans as co-laborers with him to see creation flourish. In fact, he's giving them the task to take out and, uh, and reveal the hidden potential that he's placed within creation. This is a beautiful thing. But then what's the next symbol? Rebellion, yes. This is where the humans decided that they were gonna push back against God. They weren't sure that he was doing what was best for him. Maybe he wasn't doing what was true, right, and beautiful. They were going to decide good and evil for themselves. And with that decision entered in human sin and it put a curse on all of creation. And so rebellion ruined everything. But what's the next arrow? Promise, promise, yes. So God in his goodness was not going to abandon his creation. But he raised up one man, Abraham, and through Abraham created this whole, the whole nation of Israel who would be a blessing to all of the other nations and all of other creation. And so in that God promised that there would be a repair to the fracture of sin, but the problem was in Israel continued to rebel also. What's the next one? Yeah, redemption. God saw that people were like, people are going to continue to be enslaved in sin. And so he sent his son, Jesus, to 
usher in the kingdom, to proclaim that the kingdom is here and to live a sinless life. But the people rebelled against Jesus as well and they murdered him on a cross. And in his death, he took on all of the weight of sin, all of the curse that had been placed on creation. In his death, he took the penalty for all of the sin. And then he was resurrected back to life. He ushered in a recreation. Through his life, he conquered the power of sin and death and became the king of all of creation, King Jesus. What's the next symbol? Yeah, the church, right? So, and one, I'm really thankful for you guys. Like, you know the story, you're walking through it. So now this is the part where we're in, right? The church, King Jesus sent his spirit to empower his followers to continue to proclaim the message of the coming kingdom. He gave them the strength to go out into the world and to begin to see the effects of the curse reversed. And then what's the last symbol? Yeah, restoration. This is where Jesus the King will ultimately come down and put all things to right, reverse all effects of the curse. He will bring in all the people that choose to submit to his lordship and bring them in to a recreated, like into recreation where there is no more sin, there is no more brokenness, there is no more pain and suffering and death. And unfortunately, those that choose not to bow to Jesus will be separated from his reign. But we are still longing and waiting for that day. So that's the story that we have to live into. Just like, just like Daniel was given a story from God, a message to tell the people where he was. Like, do you see now we're living in a time so much like the Israelites where we don't have the full picture, but we know where we're going. We know where the story ends and it's in recreation. And God has sent his spirit to empower us. And we are those good news people that are called to go out into the world and share that. So I'm gonna help you guys get prepared for that with our activity. So you'll find on each of the tables, there are some note cards and some pens. Hopefully we'll have enough for everybody. But I want you to grab those and I want you to get into groups of two. So I think we might be, we actually might have one person that'll have to jump into an extra group of three. But everybody kind of huddle up if you're not already in a group of two. All right, so what I'm gonna do, what I wanna help you do is just like the Israelites were called to be a faithful witness for God, that's who we are as the church. And now with Missio, like with these symbols, this is just a tool. It's just a tool for us to be able to share that true story. But isn't it interesting that I could stand up here and tell you the story, tell you this story cover to cover. Is it the entire story? No, it's not. Like that would take so long to go through it. But now 
We have the ability to draw out for people and share the truth of who our God is and what he's done, who we are and how we can live. And so what I want you guys to do is get ready. In your groups of two, I'm gonna have you each like decide who's gonna go first and then you guys are gonna have two and a half minutes. I want you to draw out the symbols and I want you to explain them to the person. I want you to tell the story from creation to recreation. And then we're gonna switch it. So person two, you didn't get off the hook. Then you're gonna do the same thing. You're gonna draw them out and you're gonna share the story. All right, you guys, on your marks, get set and go. All right, time. How'd you guys do? Did everybody get through this story? So I will say, I gave you guys an extra minute. I did this exercise. Actually, Adrian, Tanya, and Crystal and I, we did this, a similar exercise. It wasn't exactly this. I put my own little twist on it. But we did a similar thing, and we only had 90 seconds to get through the whole story. And so I went first. I'm like, I got this. I know the story. Dude, I didn't even get to redemption and then they cut me. I was like, oh, I like, I have way too much flowery language. I can only, I have to share so much more of the story. I'm like, you have to understand all these nuts and bolts. Then it was Crystal's turn. 60 seconds, done. She had got through the whole thing. I'm like, you are way more efficient than me. And I saw several of these groups, like some of you guys are like taking the time going through it. Other people are like, man, come on, there's six symbols. Like we got 30 seconds. That's it. That's all we need. All right. So let's flip it. And this time we'll only give you guys... Do you think you can do it in 90 seconds? Person two, after you've seen it done once? Ah, uh, yeah, you guys didn't think I'd do that, did you? All right, 90 seconds, go. All right, time. How'd you guys do? Awesome, like, and, and that's what I wanted to show you guys. Like, isn't it amazing that each of us can live in this story that we, actually have the ability to go out and on, you probably don't carry note cards in your pocket, maybe you do, but on a piece of, uh, on a napkin, a piece of scrap paper, you could literally, for somebody that doesn't understand the story that we're all living in, that they themselves are living in, they don't know it and they don't understand it, in a short amount of time, in very simple symbols, you could write out and share with them the truth of all of creation, fall, or rebellion, sorry, rebellion, promise, redemption, church, and recreation. You can share it all with them. And so the reason that I wanted to do this was twofold because as we read through Daniel 11, we have a couple things. One, we're giving this idea of the story that the Israelites are gonna be living into. They're getting a prophetic word of how life is going to be and how they are to live through it. And they're given a promise of what will happen towards the end. But the second thing that they're doing that you guys caught on and why I went into so in depth about who these people were and what they did is they were being ruled by some really awful kings and it just continued to go from bad to worse. And so now us, we have this story that we can share, that we're living in. We know what story we're living in, but we also live in an age 
where around the world there are rulers that are doing truly awful things. And we have to reconcile that. And just like in Daniel, we remember in Daniel chapter 10, which is a part of this whole story, remember that as he's getting this vision of these kings, he knows because he's already been told there are actually spiritual powers that are lying behind these kings. So these kings are the physical human manifestations that we see, but there's actually a much deeper spiritual battle that's going on underneath. That was happening in Daniel's time and don't be fooled that that's not happening in our time too. And we're even given that, we're told that later in scripture, you know, time and time again, it's not the rulers of this earth that we're war against, it's the powers that lie underneath it. And so now we have this true story, but we also understand that there are these spiritual rulers as well as physical rulers that are creating all this oppression and chaos in our world. But we know the true story and we know that we have a king. We have King Jesus who exemplifies all the things that are true, right, and beautiful, pushes back against all the evilness and the idolatry that was true in Daniel's time and is true in our time today. And we can hold on to the promise that we are being led well and being shaped into a people that can go out of these doors this morning and that can live into the true story that God's given us, the story that we have in scripture, the true story of the entire world. So that's what I want us each to take today as we go to the table and we remember Jesus. We remember what, like the life that he came down to show us what it looked like to serve the father perfectly without sin, to remember his body broken for us, that he actually in that would take on the power of the curse, that he would allow his blood to be shed for us and for the payment for our sins. And then we can celebrate that he rose again and he reversed that curse. He took away the power of death. And so I want, as we go to the table, gather into groups and remind each other of the truth of that story that we can live in today. So let me pray for us as we go.